Good morning. Glad to see everyone out with us this morning. We have a good crowd with us and we're thankful for everybody's um, attendance here this morning and your participation in the service thus far. This morning, what I want to <clears throat> spend some time uh, talking about, I guess to lead into it, you know, I guess let me give a little disclaimer first. My voice is not 100%, so if I um, sound a little funny uh, throughout the lesson, uh, um, uh, I apologize in advance. Starting from, uh, I guess, way back when I was uh, younger, growing up, I always had a mindset of a certain way that things that could go, a certain reason for everything and, and different things. And uh, I will admit, uh, looking back now, the, I would probably gave a lot of challenges to my parents. <laughs> and uh, even in my uh, younger here, years with uh, some that are here, I've probably given you quite a bit of challenges also. But as I grow older and I... Uh, um, don't consider myself really old yet, but as I grow older and read God's word more, and as I grow older and learn, it's, it's, there's a gap. <laughs> and when you reconcile everything to God's word, and you look to God's word for all truth, for all wisdom, for all knowledge, for all strength, for all encouragement, <laughs> it's going to be different than the way that you should think it should be. So this morning as we Look to God's word. I, uh, I invite you to, to think about it, to study about it. I want to talk for just a little bit this morning about the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. And I will say that I don't know if we will ever, <laughs> I know for a fact we won't ever get to the point that we have the mind of Christ. It's just, it's, it's not possible. But we have his words were recorded for us. We have everything recorded on how we can look to and the ways we can respond. Paul gives us a really good description about the mind of Christ. A very good description of the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in the fifth verse, the Bible tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the cross. What I want to focus on for just a little bit this morning is I want to look at the human side of Christ's mind. Certainly there is a human side and there is a divine side. This morning the side that I want to take some look at, to take a look at from the scriptures, is the human side of Christ. Christ's mind. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Bible tells us, For assuredly he does not give to angels but he gives to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in, the, in things pertaining to God 
to make propitiation, I always get tongue-tied over that word, propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ, we see, we know from reading in the scriptures that he was tempted in all ways. He endured those temptations. He suffered those temptations. I got ahead of myself there. But one thing that Christ, um, it was Christ's mindset, and as we see recorded in the scriptures, is the mindset that Christ did have, it's something that we all should long for. It's something that we all should try to replicate, to duplicate in our lives. If we were able to try our best to replicate that standard in which Christ's mind is, certainly we all will be pleasing to God. So as I stated this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at three human traits, three human aspects of Christ's mind. I want to look at, first I want to look at some um, some examples of where he was submissive. And then I want to spend some time looking how he served others. And then I want to conclude with how he was compassionate and how he was able to, be, to, to do these things. And as we go through these examples this morning, as we look to the scripture where it talks about these examples, I challenge you to how, look how you can apply these things into your lives. Certainly there's a, there's a gap and there should be, but there's a gap that's there. But look to shore that gap up. Look to close the gap. Look how we, you and I, can be more like Christ and respond in the way that he does. Christ submitted to all levels of authority. The first thing I want to look at is he obeyed his parents. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 51 says, As it and he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. He, he, he here being Christ, them being his parents. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. We know that Joseph was Christ's physical father. Christ was filled with all wisdom. Christ had all knowledge. Why would he want to listen to his parents? He, was, he knew more things than they did. He understood more things than they did. Christ was the son of God. Christ having all of these things, having all of this knowledge, having all of this wisdom, Christ still submitted to his parents. And he did what they said. Great example for us. Christ also, Christ also um, paid the Jewish tax for himself and for Peter. Matthew 17, chapter 27, it says, Nevertheless, <clears throat> lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that. And give it to them for me and you. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? <laughs> but it was a great example. Certainly was a miracle. But Christ paid the Jewish tax. Christ ultimately looked for a way that he could pay that tax. He didn't try to make excuses for reasons why he couldn't pay it. He submitted. 
He looked for ways in which he was able to pay that tax. He didn't want to leave any room or any reason to offend the Jews there. He didn't want to offend them. He didn't want to cause any harm. We know from reading in other passages of the Scripture that Christ was born under the old law, but He came to fulfill it. He came to to fulfill that law and to do everything and ultimately to destroy it. I think Peter lists a very good four-step formula and things that we can do to be able to have, uh, to be submissive. In first, first Peter chapter 2, in verse number 17, it lists four things here. It tells us to honor all people. It says, love the brotherhood. It tells us that we should fear God and that we also should honor the king. I think Jesus and Paul also referenced um, these in several uh, places also, but it's good for us to consider these things. Look to our lives and how we can be submissive in the things that we could do in our lives. We should honor and respect those who have authority over us. We should be in subjection to them. Romans chapter 13 in verse number 7, it says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. As hard as it is, in times it seems like it's tougher than others, but we're told to respect. We are told to honor. And we're told to obey. And we have to be able to, to look to these things and take a true and honest look in our life and ask ourselves, are we doing these things? I want to say a disclaimer. If there's sin involved, we have to stand against sin. We have to call sin, sin. And we have to be able to, to separate the two. But if there's no sin involved, we have to honor. We have to obey. And we must respect. When we don't have the times where we are, I guess we're in, we're in disagreement, there's no example in the scripture where it tells us to go out into society and make a huge uproar. To go out into society and cause all kinds of problems trying to push this or push that. We should be able to look to God's word and how we can uh, be respectful to others. We're told to love the church. John chapter 13 in verses 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, we understand when it tells us we should love one another. And I think we do a very good job of that. We, as a congregation here, when there's a need or there's a support that's needed from somebody or somebody needs that, we're there. We love one another. We care for one another. We want to be sure that all things um, are taken care of for our brothers and sisters. But the new commandment that Christ gives is that we should love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> That's tough at times. It can be. But we should love one another as Christ has loved us. That's the new commandment. And we're able to replicate that 
and we're able to duplicate that in our lives, what a great thing that would be. Fear God. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, the wisdom that's of this world, all it drives is arrogance, pride, deceit, hate. It doesn't drive anything that God would want us to be a part of. God's word speaks against all of those things. James chapter 3 and verse number 17 tells us, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You kind of look at the wisdom from the world versus the wisdom from God. There's a gap. There's a big gap. The wisdom from God, which should be resulted from us fearing him, keeping his commandments. And the fear that I'm talking about is that awe, that respect, that reverence that we have for God. Again, we don't want to have the wisdom of the world. We want to have the wisdom which is from above that comes from God. Ultimately, God puts the governing authorities into place. He has set them there. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no reason except, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists these authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. We should submit to the governing authorities as long as it is in alignment with God's word. If the government or others are telling us to do something that is contrary to the word of God, we shouldn't submit to that. The Bible is our governing authority. The word of God should uh, the word of God is what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And if we ever have a question, we go to it. We don't go to anything else. Paul tells us that it is our benefit that if we submit. It is our benefit that if we submit, because if we don't submit, we can otherwise receive condemnation. And we don't want to be on that side of the equation. Government is put into place so they can maintain peace in society. Government is put into place so they can put away those that do evil. Romans chapter 13 and verses 3 through 5, it says, Ruler, <clears throat> Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake 
of conscience. It's a blessing to be able to have a government that will put away those that do evil. It brings us safety. It brings us comfort. It brings us um, um, a peace of mind, if you will. We should pray for those who are in authority. We should pray for those that are punishing those that do evil because there's a lot of stress involved with that, to just think about it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I exhort first of all that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Don't you prefer to live a life that's quiet, it's peaceful? I think we all do. We all don't want to, would hate to be involved in, in any type of other life. I prefer to be able to have the opportunity to share God's word in a civil country versus a non-civil country. We're blessed. We have that opportunity here. You know, and there's places in the world that they fear to step out of their front door. They fear to go outside, and it's a horrible thing to just go outside. It's, it's a fear that they have. It's awful that it exists today, but unfortunately, it does. Challenge for us all is to submit and to submit to all manners in the way that Christ did in his life. So the next thing I want to take a look at is Christ had the mind of a servant. He had the mind of a servant. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whosoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whosoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ never abused his authority. Christ never took the power that he had and abused that power. But what he did with it is he labored to others. He was a servant to others. I've seen so many times and so many occasions where power and authority changes somebody. Once we had a coworker, he was just like we were. You elevate him into a management position, <laughs> it changed him. He's a different type of person. We shouldn't allow power or authority to change us. We should always be a servant. When you give someone more power than what that they can handle or what they deserve, they all of a sudden decide that they are better than others and become higher than others. That's not the case. Christ was a servant. Who had more power and authority down here? Christ ultimately was a servant. With all power and authority Christ had, he washed others' feet. 
He ser truly served them. The example that Christ left for us, that we should attempt our best to replicate and duplicate in our lives, serve others. Help others. Assist others. There's all sorts of ways we can serve, and I don't want to get off on that, but we should serve others and help them as we can, and we have opportunity. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for you, for me, for all that are out in the world. The way to be great is to be humble like Christ did and to be able to serve how he did. So how can we as the church serve today? How was we at the church to be able to serve those we have ever come in contact with? I list three things here, but certainly there's a lot of others that we could list. I want to discuss three simple things really quick as we as the church can do to serve those in the world or even in the church. We should be able to evangelize. We should be able to edify one another. We should be involved in different types of works of benevolence. It's important that we evangelize to get out into the community, to share God's word, to share the things that God has done in our lives, to go to the scriptures and show how their God wants to share those same things in their lives as well. First Timothy chapter one and verse number 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost at all. Through Christ's death, he is able, he died for you and he died for me. All of those that have lost souls, he did it for us. It's an humbling thought. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, for the son of man has, seek, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We have sin in our lives. We are separated from God because of that sin. The only way that we can be in reconciliation with God is through Christ's blood. There's no other way. The only way that we have an opportunity to spend eternity with God in heaven one day is through Christ. That's the only way that we're able to have our sins removed. In just a little while, we'll partake of the body and the blood when we remember Christ's death. It's through those things that Christ has done that we're able to have peace one day with him. We should tell the community about that. We should evangelize, share that with others. And there's all sorts of ways that we can do that. Certainly we must do other things leading up to that because we can't just walk into the community and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> we have to set the stage. We have to build, build it up. And then when we have that opportunity, we do. We share it. So certainly involved in different things in the community is going to help us and position us to where we can do that. Edification through teaching. We should be able to edify one another. 2 Timothy 2 and 2, 
And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We are all required to teach. I understand it says men here, but that word men, if you look into it and you go and look to the Greek, it's talking about human beings. It's talking about males. It's talking about females. It includes all of us. Oops, I got ahead of myself there. But there's all sorts of ways that we can teach. There's all sorts of ways that we can do other. We can teach others through our examples. We can teach others through our deeds. We can teach others through serving. We can teach others through being compassionate. The list can go on and on. But there's all sorts of things that we can do. I believe teaching, it's a process that informs others. And then those others have opportunity to inform others. And it keeps on going. It, it's, its idea is to, to always um, teach, to always edify one another. It's important to realize that once we have obeyed the gospel, once we're baptized into Christ, we have, the, we have been told to be disciples, to go out and teach and bring others to Christ. And again, certainly we can't just walk out and say that to somebody. It's a process that builds up to that. And we're involved in different things in the community, things at work, different types of sports activity, whatever it is. We should be able to speak to others about Christ and tell them about Christ and what he has done for us. Benevolence. Basically, it's meeting the other's needs, whether they be spiritual or whether they be physical. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, it tells us everyone here, that's the world. And then we're listed, especially those of the household of faith. So there's two different categories. We should do good to all. We should want to do that. Paul taught. Paul encouraged in so many different ways. But he encouraged them to show love. And he, shed, he encouraged them to show concern and support in, in, in what they do. Christ tells us in Acts 20 and 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So certainly, Christ um, has many uh, uh, examples, but we should look to those things in our lives where we see the void and serve as we can. Christ also showed love to others. He was compassionate. He ultimately had a plan. And that plan was that he should do all things for us so that we could have a home in heaven one day if we're found faithful, doer of his will. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for the sakes, yet for your sake, he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. He put aside the blessings that he had in heaven. He had everything. He put those all aside and he came down here because he loved us. He was compassionate. He took on the form of man. He endured temptations. He had multiple things in which he endured for us that hurt, that are painful. He did all of those without sin. Never once did he wish evil on anybody. He had love and compassion. Think about he being suffered. He was rejected. He was humiliated. He was abused. You know, just those things alone, it makes you kind of think differently in how you respond to others. When others abuse us, when others humiliate us, when we have to suffer wrongdoings on account of something that we may not have, we deserve. Certainly, he showed love and he showed compassion. Christ healed those that were sick. Christ Christ healed those that were full of diseases. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. The man knew that Christ could heal him. But really in his mind, he doubted if Christ could really do it. He knew that Christ was able to. Christ could have rebuked him. Christ could have said, you unfaithful. He could have done so many things, but he didn't. He healed him. He cleansed him. Ultimately, he had compassion on him, and he made him free from his leprosy. What about the widow that lost her only son? That lost her only son that she had had. Luke chapter 7, verses 12 through 15 As he approached, he being Christ, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. What an awesome sight to see that happen. What a great thing that Christ did for that widow who was mourning the loss of her only son that she had. And certainly there might be other reasons here, but the idea is Christ still did it. Christ still responded in the way he did because he had compassion and he cared. 
Christ also fed those who were hungry. Matthew 15 and verses 32 and 38, Jesus called, to his, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and having nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Again, we have another miracle. We also have recorded where he did the same for 5,000, where he fed the 5,000. But again, the, the idea is that Christ had compassion. And it's very evident that he cared in all of the works that he did. But just two examples here of where we see Christ cared for others. Christ was willing to do just about anything he could in his power for others to show him that he had love and that he had compassion. It's tough to think about that sometimes, but what would we do for others? Would we respond in the same way that Christ has and that Christ did? Certainly a great example for us all to consider. So some application for us this morning to consider. In heaven, Christ was God, but he was a submissive son. In heaven, he was worshipped. Yet, he wanted to come to earth and serve. We're trying to get up there. And he came down here. He had compassion for those that were in need. Those that were in need, a lot of times they didn't respect him. They didn't want to do things the right way. As Christians, we must strive to do our best. And we must strive to have the mind of Christ in the way that he had it. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. We must lead a life that resembles Christ's life. That must be our goal. If we want to one day spend eternity with him on high, we're expected to do that, to lead a life the way that Christ led his life. And I will say, we'll fail at times. But then again, we have the Christ's blood to cover our sins if we're willing to repent and do the right things. Followers of Christ can't lead a life that caters to sinful desires, sinful activities. We can't be involved with that. We have to lead a life as Christ has won us to lead, as the example that he's led and that he wants us to lead. We have to lead that type of life. And have that type of lifestyle. So in conclusion this morning. We will never be full of joy. And have the excitement. With the mind of the world. It's temporary. It's going to come to an end one day. We'll never have that. That. Uh, 
I don't know the word I'm looking for, but that one day where we're, what truly is going to help us was one day when we get home in heaven, that's eternal. Anything else is just temporary and will be gone one day. Think about the world. They're selfish. They're bitter. They're unkind. They're mean. They're full of hate. And they seek revenge anytime that they have an opportunity to do it. We can only be happy and content when we have the mind of Christ. Those with the mind of Christ will ultimately submit to authority. They're going to serve others. They're going to be compassionate, be loving, and possess so many other Christ-like behaviors that are documented for us in His Word. If you think about it, the ones that are the most miserable are the ones that know the truth and are not willing to submit to it. I encourage you this morning to submit to the truth. Submit to God's word. Submit to those things in which he has instructed for us to do. Submit to that plan of salvation if you have not submitted to it. Be baptized today. Remove your sins through baptism. If you have been baptized and you have the need of prayer, take care of that. The church wants to pray with you and pray for you. If there be any that would desire to be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins, or if there are any that would like the prayers of the church, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.